We're talking about the rise of the African print, and joining us in our Johannesburg studios is Ms. Gracia Bampile of Hort Africa. She's the CEO. Good evening, Gracia. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> African um, print. I'm excited to be here. We're and happy yes, to have you. I can't wait for a very for an amazing um, conversation about African print. Okay, well, I'm going to let you lead the conversation. What do you want to talk about? Tell us why African print has got purchased now more than it ever has in history, in the world stages, where we are looking forward to seeing African men and women and those who are not African, but embracing the African culture of fabric. Um, I think, firstly, I think people are getting to a point where we are embracing ourselves more. And it's pretty sad that it's happening now. It should have happened ages and decades ago. Um, African prints started rising when, unfortunately, again, our international celebrities began wearing it. When Beyonce was wearing it and uh, Chris Brown, that's when it's, it, it began rising. Um, but I'm happy that it's, people are now starting to embrace it. Everyone is starting to embrace African print. You are embracing it probably more than most people are because this is now your business. This is your bread and butter. This is how you express yourself. This is how you embrace your Africanness, and you want the. I would imagine you want the world to embrace Hot Africa. Yes, I do. Let's I, talk about the business. Um, so Hot Africa was founded when I was ten years old. To be honest, <laughs> um, by who? Who founded it? Oh no, no, no. So in my dreams, oh, <laughs> when I, I was ten years old. Um, so I got a present from my parents and it was an African print dress and it was so horrible. It was horrendous. And I remember feeling like, oh my gosh, it can't be that it's the African side of it. It, 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 it should be something else. And I went on a quest to just figure out how do I make this, this material, this tradition likable and everyday, you know, for the everyday person. Because I, I, I also come from, um, I'm half Congolese, half Rwandan, by the way. So African print for me is an everyday wear stuff. But I would not necessarily wear what my aunties and parents wear because I'm like, uh, just, you know, it wasn't contemporary done and done in a in a particular way that I would like to embrace it. So when I found it hot Africa, I wanted the ordinary person, the everyday person to be able to wear something that is African. And actually the whole point of, of hot Africa is to, the, to make African print become uh, you're basically like your lifestyle wear, your everyday wear, where um, it doesn't have to be for an occasion or for a wedding or for the, a traditional wedding. You could wear this to anything, to work. And of course, when you say it should be freely available and be worn anywhere, you basically are saying in many respects, Africans in African wear embracing their identity and getting to embrace themselves exactly. are as good in any space they might want to find themselves in, in any space they in fact find themselves in, and in any space they aspire to be. That's what I'm taking from that. That's, you've literally nailed it. That's exactly what I'm trying to say. Um, because I feel like even till today, I have people like some of my customers who come to me and they're like, Hey, um, I want traditional wear. And I'm like, we don't make traditional wear here. We make African wear, you know, because, um, when you're buying a white wedding dress, right? It's, it's a, it's a wedding dress. So it needs some it, African print needs to get to a point where you're just buying clothing. You know, it shouldn't be African. It should just be clothing because that's our daily normal wear. 
is stay there because we are joined also in studio is Tabo Macheta of Tabo Macheta. She's a brand creator and the brand or the brain behind the brand and it's got a very basutu um, infusion to it all. We'll be back in conversation with her right after this. SAFM leading the conversation. The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. From one Bogodo to others, we change gears now and focus on the rise of the African print. For years now, our continent has been the home for lion, zebra, on a field full of huts where people live. And also true to this land is a lot more than that. While Africa is a land of beautiful sunset, tall grasses and trees, moving, mus- moving musical sounds and wild animals, it's also home to millions Nearly a billion of the most diverse people the world over knows. History and cultures included with that, with a captivating landscape and unique experiences. And in those unique everything, we're looking at print. We're looking at African garments. We're looking at African clothing. We're looking at how Africans edify their beauty through cloth. And Tabo Maketa is the brand creator behind Tabo Maketa there. Ma'am, good evening. How are you? Good evening, Sangeza. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Where's Kevin? Is he next to you? Oh, good, because he's on my case that he he wants to say hi. So he's, he's, I'm saying hi for him on his behalf. <laughs> Kevin, you need to give us a call and tell us how wonderful your wife is. And more importantly, we also need to celebrate you for being so loyal and honest and diligent and dutiful and so supportive of your wife. Would that be true, Tabo? Very supportive, 100%. Even before we got married, um, since I've met Kevin, he's always been behind our brand and supporting the brand from the day one. Kevin Quinana is his name. Good on you, buddy. First of August, happy Women's <laughs> Month as well. Tabo, let's talk about your brand, Tabo Macheta brand, because you've won a couple of international awards as well in such a short space of time. Yes. Um, the brand, really, it's about, the, as you mentioned, the Basutu blankets taken from my culture. I was born in Lesotho. Um, and, yeah, we're actually celebrating 10 years this year, so that's actually quite exciting from, for us as well. 10 years. Now, it obviously couldn't have been easy because for the most part, the uptake in fashion, even if it is quick, it could be as quick in its demise given the fact that it's just such a constantly evolutionary space with new ideas, new creatives coming all the time. And there are those who've got attraction, however they get it, who will just always be commanding the kind of attention which a young aspirant entrepreneur in the space would be looking for. Tell us how you've survived 10 years. No, what you've mentioned is actually very true. I think from the beginning, um, I've always been interested in culture, not necessarily my own culture, but all cultures locally, internationally, because I always felt like when you make a garment, to keep it timeless, you need to tell a story and you need to tell something about history and culture in that garment. And we've been very successful with that because we have customers who've bought our our gobo capes and um, jackets from about three years ago, some going back as six years ago, eight years ago. And they will still come back now, posting pictures on Instagram. I'm still very proud to wear those blankets because I think for us, we've tapped into not just the culture, but uh, we found a new way to present our culture and make it modern and make it for the everyday. Um, and the stories that I get back and the feedback that I get back from people for me as well is also very encouraging. I mean, the first time we actually got to exhibit in Cape Town at um, Design and Java at the time, I had one lady, because 
a lot of people feel like African prints and like the Basotho prints only appeal to the person of that culture or to to African people being um, uh, black people. So we had one lady, it was an Afrikaans lady from the Free State who came to me and she was so excited to see my garments because she was like, you know what, as a child growing up, my mother used to take our blankets and produce garments from them. And for me, that spoke something to say, we're not just coming here with a train using the Basuto blankets, but there's so many stories and feelings attached to what we're producing that, you know, those feelings come up within people. And I think that's what's managed to keep our brand and our concept to continue for more than eight years. We're going to engage that because that story needs a little more time to unearth because I think it is those stories and the nuances attached to stories that creates brand loyalty, that gives brand its meaning, that gives it its traction, that makes it relevant mm-hmm. in a given community at a given time. But let's go through to you now, Gracia. Hort, meaning high standards, class, elegance in French and speaks to African sophistication, style and elegance. Unpack all of this. Um, so when I started Hort Africa, I wanted to create a brand that speaks highly of Africans and, and Africa's, you know, as a whole. And when I came out in the market, according to what I had, you know, according to my market research, a lot of the brands that were using African print were either, A, using like the cheaper end of the fabrics, of the African print fabrics, or were like, you know, repetitions of other brands. And then, so it would be the same dress for five different brands of the same dress in the same material. And I just thought, okay, how do we stand out and how do we make Africa um, rise? You know, and I think um, that's where the brand has managed to cre- create uniqueness. Whereas when our clients buy our stuff, they, they know they're not going to bump into 20 people in the same, in the same garments. And that's obviously very deliberate because you do want to stand out. You do want to be elegant. You do want to be sophisticated. And sophistication doesn't speak to monotony. You don't want to be all the same, wearing the same thing, and then all believe you're sophisticated. Do I have it right? Yes, you do. And I actually get in trouble a lot with clients when we release an, uh, you know, a garment and we only release 20 pieces. So once those are done... We literally refuse to sell it, and it's you know it's it's been tough because you know business you need to make money, but we want our brand to be exclusive, at the exclusive. same time. Yeah, sounds excellent. Tabo, let's talk to you. Let's talk. Let let's unpack um, the blankets. It's 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 culturally embedded, and for the most part, one would see Basutu men on the mountain with their sticks, in Basutu blankets. You have taken mm-hmm. that concept. And it's one, certainly not just for men, and you've evolved it in such a manner that women can wear it as a shawl or a poncho, and I hope my terms are right in that regard, and they drape them over their shoulders, and they bring in what Hort Africa also does, an essence of class, sophistication, and elegance, because you could wear it very casually, your brand, and you could wear it extremely formally as well. Mm. So with the Basutu blankets, um, it's traditional attire for both men and women. Um, culturally, you'll find that the Basutu blanket, a lot of the time, is also given as a gift. Um, even a woman as well, when she's about to have a child, there's a specific blanket that would be given to her for that occasion. So the blanket is part of um, both women and men culture in this book. Uh-huh. Yeah. So for me, the thing that I really picked up is that a lot of the time, once we leave our like our cultural homes, um, rural homes and we move into the big cities where it's more metro- metropolitan, lots of different cultures that mix into a pot. We tend to leave our cultures behind us. 
So for me, bringing the Basutu blanket and modernizing it like this, I wanted to say, you know what, you can walk into the courtroom um, and the the Mm. corporate space and still have your culture and traditional with you. I've been very blessed to be able to travel a lot. And you go to countries like Thailand and you go to countries like India. You know, the sari is still part of every day. You walk into the corporate spaces and the women are still dressed in the traditional way. Nigeria as well is another good example where for people on the red carpet, what's formal, what's everyday includes traditional dress. You don't get that a lot in South Africa. And it is starting to pick up. It is starting to gain traction. So for me, it was a thing of saying, you know what, guys, as we develop as well, um, getting more educated, moving into the cities and so on, we can take our culture and adapt it as well. We don't necessarily, we don't need to leave it behind because um, there's almost like a feeling you get uh, with a lot of Western influence, where it's almost like if you're still holding on to your culture, you're not as, um, I'm trying to find the right word for it, but you're not, not as, progressive. as elegant, as not as taken as seriously, you know, things like that. So for us bringing that in, it's not just about the Basutu blankets, but also to say to people, it's like if your culture is important. Your culture can still be used. You don't need to throw that away to call yourself successful. And I think that's an important point that has been raised there by Tabo Gracia. And just for the record, it's 2124. We are in studio with Ms. Tabo Macheta of Tabo Macheta. She's a brand creator there, as well as the voice you're about to hear, Gracia Bampile of Hort Africa. Tabo mentioned something important about Africa and its presence in the world. Specifically for you, Gracia, you are Congolese and Rwandan at the same time living in South Africa. You're already straddling between three serious identities. When I say straddling, I don't mean you have an identity crisis. I mean you incorporate in who you are, in your language, in your voice, in your experiences, in your movements, in what you wear, in how you wear what you wear, between these three critical communities, if I can call them that, Congolese, Rwanda, and South African, in one person. How much of that filters through into the brand? You know, what's funny is I have lived in about five African countries. I lived in Kenya for seven years, Uganda, eight years, um, Tanzania as well for a couple of years, and Congo and, you know, Rwanda and now I'm in uh, in South Africa. Um, You know, and that's what I think makes the brand metropolitan because I, I... I look at fashion and fabric from a different angle than maybe other people. Um, and that's why I hold Africa is for everyone. It's not for, um, there's no particular person who can claim hot Africa. I believe it's for Africans and it's actually to, to the world. You guys have a fan. Mem Lambo in Thunder Bell Park wants to call. Mem Lambo. Mem Lambo. Not there. Let's carry on the conversation. Tabo. Mr. Yes. Mlambo, how are you? Oh, fine. How are you? Good, man. What's happening? Okay. Oh, sorry. Okay. I believe there was something like a talk I couldn't hear you. Okay, <laughs> right. I just... <laughs> <laughs> I really wasn't asking what's happening as in that. I was like, what's happening as in how are you? But nonetheless, <laughs> okay. you've indulged okay. us more than we've required. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Uh, all, all what I wanted to say about the dress, you know, some people, they used to say, I mean, they say African or traditional, this and that. They don't know to say, okay, right, uh, being in Africa, science started in Africa. You know, when we got that dress, in the beginning, we used to use the cowhide and so forth, and we used to, I mean, to live, I mean, uh, I mean uh, together with the animals, 
That's why sometimes you may find on a dress when they put a picture of an animal or a picture mm -hmm. of a hat or a picture of anything which helps. I mean, I mean, some people, they say it's African. I mean, mm. it's tradition. It's not tradition because Ubuntu, it's African to be Ubuntu. That's why when you find when they were drawing these animals in the cave and everything else, the bushmen, the way they are, bushmen they were dressing, but now when the European, when they came with the clothes, we had to adapt so that we can put the soft cloth and still our style, we did not leave it. All the designs, like the design of Sarama Shangu, the design like the, of our flags, the design like of Umswati, it's African, it's Ubuntu, we call it respect. We don't put that, I mean, it's the same, we know we live because of the, I mean, of our environment. So we have to put the moon, we put everything else which helps us and it encourages us, which is unlike um, the European style. The European style, you can find somebody putting a, a T-shirt with a gun, a T-shirt with a car, a T-shirt with all these things, I mean, eh, which are <laughs> don't have, eh. So now being African, you can find the design of African. Mm. When Absolutely. you look at it, you feel as if you are a true human being. When you are a human being, you cannot be a human being without grass, without mountains, without animals, without all that. That's why you find all Indeed. that. And we have adapted a little bit because we're using soft, I mean, clothes, but we were using cowhide, which sure, is I've African to do no, I get the point. Thank you so much, Mr. Mlambo. Tabo, I think Mr. Mlambo talks to a lot of what I heard you say, because you talk about the essence behind the blanket. It's not just fabric. There's cultural centralism in all of that. Culture is embedded in that blanket and an expression of Ubuntu as an, as an African people, in this case, specifically the Basutu people. This blanket is a lot more than just a piece of cloth to cover one's body. I actually just wanted to elaborate on what he just said now, because sure. it is we, we were using the cowhide, especially Basutu. Um, along with like the the Buntu tribes, the the Tswana people as well, we were actually using those cow hides, and we were actually known for our leather trade way back before the first settlers even got here. We were trading in leather, um, and so there were actually some uh, a very bad drought, a season of drought, and it's interesting because in the social history and in closer history, it's actually recorded during that time period. So when the blankets were introduced, it was also because in our area at the time there was not as many animals as well to produce the hides that were still needed at the time. Um, so that's how the blankets got introduced. And as he mentioned, also they were coming from Europe and then they came into Africa, which also just went, I wanted to touch on the fact that as much as we're so proud and so excited that, you know what, the Basutu blankets, the African prints and so on, um, there's also a question about ownership of those things as well that I think at some point it, it's, a, it's a later discussion that should be touched on. Sure. Um, but we celebrate so much about being African and, 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 and you know, um, this humanity about it and this excitement about being part of Africa. But we also need to go back and talk about um, the ownership of those blankets, the ownership of the fabrics, the ownership of the textiles as well. Because, I mean, we're talking about the economy, we're talking about jobs, we're talking about employment. Do we actually own those things or are we still getting them produced in Europe? Are we still taking and buying them from the, the, the copies that are coming in from China I'm and places that. like that? 
So that, right, that's a related yeah. discussion as well. Um, but, you know, as we celebrate, you know, these beautiful prints that we call our own in African, we also need to see where are they actually coming from? Are we also supporting African businesses and African production and African people? Or are we kind of selling out even though we're trying to celebrate and saying we're African? If that makes sense. It makes complete sense. You are a daughter of Lillian Goy. Mama Lillian Goya would be proud to have heard you say that the Pan-Africanism in there comes through so much. And as I round off this conversation with you, Gracia Bampili, I think what Tabo has said represents you in every respect. And let's talk about the Africanism of the spaces you are in, how this brand can grow to create employment opportunities and unlock not just culture, but unlock economic potential for the people of Africa. Um, you know, with with African businesses sometimes you know i've had i've had customers come and tell me oh my gosh we are surprised on how excellent your service is so surprised. there's always a yeah they're surprised so there's always a negative connotation when it's it's black owned or if it's african owned the service has to be poor um but you know to answer your question i think the more we support africans and african brands that's the way we actually liberate ourselves you know, um, and, and it starts from supporting from the manufacturing stages all the way to the final garments. And that's how we create employment for more people and we uplift Africans as a whole. We do appreciate your time. Thank you so much, ladies. Gracia Bampile of Hort Africa, CEO, as well as the brand creator, founder of everything at Tabo Maketa. And that's her name, Tabo Maketa. And also, thank you. I suppose I'm, it's because I know Tabo through her husband, Kevin. Kevin Gwinana. <laughs> Thank you so much for being part of this great story that is Tabo Macheta. It's 21.32. It's time for us to sign out with these beautiful ladies and 